vast majority of our listeners talk about they are obsessed with improvement. They always want to get better at what they do so they can give more to those they serve. But here's the catch. If you want improvement, you need a way to measure it. We have to have an evaluative component, something that can inherently be subjective and objective. There's always going to be a mix when working with people and also something that exposes us to the variety of biases that we're going to have. So we know that if we want to be better leaders and coaches, we have to deal with situational awareness. You can't just read about these things when it comes to leading others and coaching others. You've got to be able to get in depth with them. You can't fake reps that you haven't gotten. That's why I'm so happy our apprenticeship communication workshops are back on. If you haven't heard me say it yet, you'll hear it again and again. And we're at numerous cities throughout the United States. We are full on back. Phoenix, Arizona, Dallas, Texas, Chicago, Illinois, Seattle, Washington, Nashville, Tennessee. No matter where you're at in the United States, these are here. If you're listening internationally, we always do these internationally as well. So stay tuned. Right now, we're still limited because of international travel and COVID and restrictions. We keep these events small. They feature professionals from every field. And you can figure out the exact dates of every single workshop at artofcoaching.com forward slash apprenticeship. Again, that's artofcoaching.com forward slash apprenticeship. One more time, artofcoaching.com forward slash apprenticeship. We've had members of the FBI, members of the healthcare community. We've had coaches. We've had entrepreneurs. We've had people as young as 19 and as old as 78. If you want to be a better communicator, uh uh-uh, better yet, if you think communication is important, you need to get here. We have a lot of fun. We normalize failure. We do a lot of situational role playing. There's nothing to be worried about. Nobody gets judged here. This is for advanced professionals who know that ego is the enemy and you are ready to learn. Artofcoaching.com forward slash apprenticeship. Welcome to the Art of Coaching Podcast, a show aimed at getting to the core of what it takes to change attitudes, behaviors, and outcomes in the weight room, boardroom, classroom, and everywhere in between. I'm your host, Brett Bartholomew. I'm a performance coach, keynote speaker, and the author of the book, Conscious Coaching. But most importantly, I'm a lifelong student interested in all aspects of human behavior and communication. I want to thank you for joining me. And now let's dive into today's episode. Most of us have been there, and if you haven't yet, you're going to be. You started off in a certain part of your career. Maybe it was at the ground floor of what you did, but then eventually you make the bump up to manager, and then maybe director, and then beyond that, into various forms of leadership. And inevitably, you have some kind of identity crisis. There's all kinds of new politics you're going to have to navigate. No longer is it just about the technical side of what you do. And you have to manage the mess of relationships you might have. Are you going to have to move? You might have to move across the country, out of the country. Are people going to think that now you've gone, quote unquote, big time? How do you manage it? How do you go from being a respected tactician to somebody that still has that skill set, but now needs to be able to see the bigger picture? That is what my conversation with Jenny Noyles today is all about. Jenny is the performance director at Mayo Clinic Orthopedics and Sports Medicine in Rochester. 
and she is somebody that I have known for quite some time. I had the privilege of being able to learn under her. She is a dear friend. She was at my wedding, and she is somebody that I respect immensely, no matter what kind of questions I have about communication or leadership or life. I know that I can always have a thoughtful conversation with her, and I'm going to come across with some candid takeaways. I cannot wait for you guys to get into this. This is one of my personal favorite episodes to date. So make sure have your podcast reflection sheet ready to go. And let's get into today's conversation with Jenny Noyles. Guys, so nice to have you sitting back down with us for another conversation. I'm here with my friend, Jenny Noyles. Jenny, welcome to the show. Thanks, Brett, for uh, having me. Yes, it's my pleasure. Uh, If you guys listen to the intro, Jenny has been the closest thing that I really had uh, as a mentor when I first started as a strength and conditioning coach, a formal mentor. Um, And one of the things that's always struck me about her, and I know, Jenny, it's always awkward hearing things about yourself like this, is the strength of her communication skills, the nuances of her compassion, which we'll talk about the distinction between that and empathy on the show, and just the overall level of professionalism she's always exhibited, regardless of the environment she's in. She's one of the most adaptable people I know. Jenny, now my question to you is, do you view yourself as any of those things? When you hear me reference you as adaptable and a strong communicator, you know, inevitably there's some imposter phenomenon and and things like that, but what does it sound like to hear yourself described that way? Well, it's a huge, it's a huge compliment. Um, But I think also, now that I'm a little bit older, right, to, to hear someone say those things about me actually feels really good because, uh, to be honest, that those are things that I intentionally try to work on, right? Um, I think, you know, some people are very gifted with just natural communication, um, you know, abilities. You know, some people just they know what empathy is, they know what compassion is, right? And, and by no means am I suggesting I'm a robot, but I, I recognize very quickly, uh, probably even when I was just younger, we moved around a lot when I was a kid that, uh, you know, kind of the quickest way to make friends is to, to better understand the person that's in front of you. And that most of the times when there's uh, conflict, it has something to do with communication, not that, hey, this person doesn't like me. It, it really came down to the nuts and bolts of communication. And um, so, yeah, when I hear that uh, someone thinks I'm doing well at those things, it feels good because I've, I've tried to be very intentional with it. Not gimmicky. I mean, not fake. But, you know, if you want to be good at something, you have to articulate that to yourself. Say it out loud. Hey, I want to be good at X. Uh, and then put the reps in, practice it, learn from it. Um, so yeah, no, I, I appreciate the the confidence booster first thing in the morning. Yeah, well, Thanks, I think, you know, it's my pleasure. I think it just, it always struck me. Uh, we talk a lot about the, the necessary balance on this show and in our other content between technical expertise and interpersonal expertise. And, and these things are, are hard for some people to quantify, but I just remember your range in particular when I was an intern and, you know, I'd see you in the morning uh, working out like a madman, you know, but with purpose and intent, right? Like you knew everything there was to know about the body and how it responded to different stressors or what have you. You could come make jokes and kind of be goofy and what have you. We all have that kind of persona with me. And then the next moment you're leading some of Major League Baseball's best or the NFL Combine's best through drills with no drop of like 
respect or command presence loss, right? You're just able to be you. And that's where I'd like to go to start this off is when we talk a lot about a great communicator, the books that I read early on, a lot of these leadership books made it sound like you could never have a disfluency. So for example, if I ever said like or uh, and we know that in abundance, those things can be really irritating. We also get told that you have to speak with a certain kind of tone and this, but what we're not told is no, you can actually, like you said, you don't need to be a robot. You can, you can have moments of awkwardness and goofiness yet still maintain command of a room. I mean, you think of people even like Elon Musk, I mean, not a great orator, but still has a presence about him. Now you're a far cry from Elon Musk in terms of your command of the English language, right? Like you crush it. But like, what, what is that balance for you between I want to be respected and I want to make sure my presence is known, but I'm still cool with kind of being goofy, being awkward, Jenny, and and having that balance of competence and warmth. Right, right. I think, you know, what people want to hear is just always be your authentic self. And what I would say to that is know your authentic self, right? But remember, communication isn't a one-way street, right? I, I can be goofy as heck but I can also read the room, read the situation, read the individual that I'm communicating to or trying to communicate to that, whoa, that uh, I might have to tone that down just a little bit until we get to get to know each other, right? Um, so I think it's, it's be authentic, but first and foremost, know, know who you are, know what your strengths are, know how you'd like to be, but also recognize how you might like to be uh, you may just need to tone it down or, or wait till day three, uh, you know, in that interaction with someone. Because really, at the end of the day, I think sometimes we're looking for instant connection with people. Um, but it's not like it's not black and white. There's some individual you click with immediately, whether professionally, personally, in your relationships with people. There's others like think back to, you know, some of your most challenging clients, right? Whether whether it's in the weight room or at school or at your job, right? And then a year later, you both are giggling about, whoa, remember, remember we, we didn't necessarily see eye to eye, yet uh, we've become great friends and great, great colleagues, right? So I think it's, it's don't fight who you are, know who you are, be authentic in your interactions with, with people, uh, but also understand how you may want to communicate try to seek to understand how that other person uh, likes to be communicated to, right? And so one of the things I remember um, really early on in my, my coaching career, working with a major league baseball team, and I thought to myself, oh man, I, I just, I have to be rigid. I have to be on point, on time, execute well. There was no kind of playful banter. And then I just remember... <laughs> There were, I said something funny in one of the training groups. And I remember one of the most like veteran players had been in the league forever. He's like, thank God she has a sense of humor. <laughs> we were waiting for this to come out. Right. They're like, Jen, you kick our ass every day, but you know, we see you every day for like 12 weeks. We want to have some fun too. Right. And so I realized there I hadn't let my authentic natural self show. I was so consumed about getting the buy-in from the technical perspective. And that's super important, right? Like you need, you need to know your stuff regardless of what your profession is. 
it kind of awards you the opportunity then to bring a little bit more of the playfulness. Um, but uh, that, that was a great lesson. And for me after that, uh, I didn't wait as long to show, show who, who I was, right? Because that was also, it's just part of my coaching style. It's a part of, a part of me. And so that first like month of being like this rigid coach, I, I didn't like it, you know, but I thought I kind of had to do it to get buy-in from the athletes. Um, and I would say, I still talk to those guys. I haven't worked with them for 10 years, but there's still kind of this text stream that goes along, you know, and we just reminisce about these, these fun times training, right? That's, that's, that's awesome to me. That's, that's long-term relationships. You made an impact on someone. Yeah. You touched on a number of good threads there. One of which, you know, when we think of coach education and learning to coach, and we always use the term coach and lead synonymously on the podcast is a lot of the research shows that most people learn how to coach just by observing other coaches or sometimes mm -hmm. just experiential, right? Like it's, it's funny, like athletes practice, but coaches don't really. And I've said this on the show before, um, you know, athletes certainly don't just get better at playing their sport by playing their sport. Yet we expect coaches to get better at coaching just by coaching. We don't always get feedback and evaluations and things we might internally, but those things are incredibly biased. But, but one of the things that, that you said there is you felt like you had to be rigid. And I feel like that's so many coaches, you know, they want instant credibility. They want predictability in their environment and they want respect. Inherently three things, life are never, is never going to award us mm -hmm. with instantly. Why do you think that in a field, let's talk about strength and conditioning right now, um, that knows and understands if I want a training adaptation, if this person needs to jump higher, run faster, get fitter, we know that's going to take time. But on the other hand, we think there is such a thing as instant buy-in, instant connection, and instant everything else from the interpersonal side. Where Where's that dissonance there that we don't understand that this takes time and this takes strategy and it's not just going to come from a title or or an appearance thing? Yeah, no, I think that's a really good, good question. Uh, I've thought about it, right? And it's like 2020 vision. You look, you look back at past interactions, you know, I have interactions with, you know, whether professionally, personally, but still today I'm embarrassed about, I'm like, I did not handle that situation well, or others that I was, wow, I was, I was really proud of how I, I communicated and, and interacted in that situation. And I, kind of reflecting on your question, and it, it's one that maybe I haven't posed exactly the same way to myself, but I've thought about it, is there's like, we need this validation, right? From other people, not everyone. I, I'd say for me, I, I have a lot of confidence in myself. At the end of the day, I know my mom loves me, right? You know, for some, for some people that's, that's enough. Whereas it, I don't know if it's the field of strength and conditioning or it's the individuals like myself that find myself in this field that you, you want this, this, this confirmation that, no, you're good. You're good at this. Um, you know, but, but what I've come to realize is the more that you want that kind of confirmation from other people, it becomes less about your client and it becomes all about you. And, and for me, and not to sound cliche, but it, it's, it's a service industry, right? Um, you're, you're in it you want to be in it for the right reasons. And I never wanted my own personal insecurity to get in the way of myself professionally, right? Why, why do I, 
why do I need that person to like me? Or why do I need that, that person to be demonstrative about their like, oh, that was an awesome session, right? It's, it's like at the end of the day, you know the science of strength and conditioning. You bring people along, they make gains, they make changes, right? Uh, same thing with just your communication. Not everyone's going to like you or take to you day one. Um, yeah, I mean, it's that's kind of my own introspection about it. Is it just because I feel the need to be liked right away? Um, that That's just going to set you up for a lot of heartache, professionally yeah. and personally, right? Yeah, you touch on a, a lot of pieces there that, you know, especially the term self-validation and I think even self-completion. I think people mm-hmm. are inherently always trying to figure out what what version of themselves is the version they want to be, which is the importance of knowing yourself, right? Like uh, you contributed to conscious coaching and there was a reason for that. And in that book, we talk a lot about, I mean, one of the first chapters is know yourself. And I've always thought that if you're getting into a leadership role or a coaching role, or you're taking a certain job with a certain organization, because you feel like you need that to become who you want to be, as opposed to you knowing who you are, right? Like if you know your quote unquote coaching philosophy before you have an understanding of your personal identity, you're in trouble. You know, was there an, uh, was there an aspect of your upbringing? Was there an aspect of your professional career where you really got to know yourself on a deeper level? You had to face some hard truths, you know, to give you an example, I always talk about for me, at 14, it was being hospitalized. When you're a, a year into your life, a year of your life in this place, you have a lot of time to kind of get to know your demons. And certainly nobody needs to be hospitalized or they don't need to be shot and they don't need to have something like that. But like, was there, when was a time in your career or your life where you had that first true look at yourself internally and are like, yo, you need to kind of, we need to figure this part of you out. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, no, it, it does. And, um, you know, so for myself, so I have a younger brother, uh, my mom and I have mom and dad and, uh, my parents at a very young age, uh, wanted to travel the world, right. My mom's a school teacher, dad's an engineer. Um, and so for me, I grew up every three to four years with drastic change. We moved, we, we didn't just move down the street. We moved to Africa, <laughs> we moved somewhere else. Right. And so for me at a very young age, this idea of um, change, change is a constant. And I just, I just remember, you know, when you're 10, you can kind of throw a temper tantrum, like dad, I am not moving and sitting, you know, with all these boxes, I'm not going. He's like, well, Jennifer, you're, you're 10. Uh, you, you have to come with us. Um, and I just, I remember my mom saying, why do you want to live like with fear and anxiety. She's like, everyone goes through tough things. That's a part of life, but that that's also who makes you you. But there's an upside to everything. And sometimes you might have to look a little harder for it. Sometimes it's more obvious. And so I think at a very young age, my, my parents allowed my brother and I to mourn things, but very quickly pivot and turn to see what what are you gaining? So kind of focus on the positive. And, you know, some people might say, well, that's, you're just, you're just hiding, you know, the fundamental issue with like kids and anxiety, but, you, but you're always going to have anxiety in your life. You know, sometimes it's a little, sometimes it's a lot. Like I, I still, you know, I have anxiety about things and, 
it, it, I know it sounds cliche, but it's really how you handle that, right? And so a perfect example, I, I was so comfortable working at our um, facilities at, at Exos, working with professional athletes, working with strength coaches, and that, and then at like 34, it's like, hey, we're going to send you off to Minnesota to go work at the Mayo Clinic in their sports medicine department. Do you know how like insecure I felt about that? And like, that was very anxiety producing because again, all of a sudden, everything that was comfortable and familiar to me was like, hey, I'm working at a hospital now. Holy crap. The Mayo Clinic has renowned surgeons that I'm going to be talking to. Are, are they going to like me? Are they going to respect me? Right? So all those things we kind of talked about earlier, but then it was kind of, all right, the week before I didn't sleep very well. The night before I had to show up, I like had five different alarms on because I didn't want to show up late, but I, I don't, I don't think I slept at all, but guess what? I didn't die. Right. Um, so I think like for me, part of, you know, getting back to your question is, Change was very um, familiar to myself and my family, but more importantly, it was my parents just told us, "You're you're strong. You can you can you can do this." And so for me, that's I'm very fortunate. I I have that kind of silent confidence that hey, no matter how bad things get, like there will be an upside. It will get better. It might get better tomorrow, or it might get better in a year from now. Uh, but how you control. You, you control how you feel in the moment. And that's, that's for me, even as an adult, like, and in my career, like there's moments where I get angry at my staff. There's moments where I feel sad. I feel anxious. I just know, don't react in the moment, absorb it, get outside, do something you love, come back with a fresh perspective. And there's so many great threads there as well. Touching on anxiety for a moment and how you deal with change. You know, I, we, we've done an article and, and several videos on why people can be resistant to change, right? And, and one of those things is a lack of vision or confidence that you can deal with it effectively. So one, it sounds like your mother was, is an incredible person to be able to say, yeah, mourn, mourn this and then let's move on. You can deal with this and, and change is only going to become more of an inevitable part of our lives in an increasingly fast-paced kind of way here, you know? And, um, and so being able to deal with that. And then I love that you mentioned the term anxiety, lots of anxiety and leadership that goes not talked about, right? It just does. I mean, for every book on Steve jobs or for somebody else, there's 20 more that could have been written on the ugly truth of the doubts these enigmatic people had in their lives and in ways that that pulled, you know, on their, uh, on like, their emotions and their decision-making. Like I always think about, you know, could you imagine what it would be like being Harriet Tubman and, and trying to lead, or I think of Spartacus. Right. I, I went down this rabbit hole of the Spartacus wars because I'm a huge history nerd. This Thracian slave had to lead people that spoke as many as 60 different languages at the time against the Roman military. And it, it speaks to the anxieties that I think a lot of coaches have, of, like you said earlier, self-acceptance. Uh, what's my performance like as a coach or a leader? Did people like that session? How'd that meeting go? You know, how, how was I in the boardroom? I think also education, which is something I want to talk about with you, our finances, our own health. You know, when you said you have anxieties and we all do, right? They're ubiquitous. What categorically are some of those anxieties that, that pull on you the most? Like for me, it's time. I'm very aware that time is finite because of a lot of things I experienced early 
I, I want that to open the door for an example for you. What, what are some things that you feel increasingly anxious about sometimes, even if you've learned how to deal with it extraordinarily well at this point? Yeah. I mean, I, I would probably share that, um, that, that one time, right. It's, uh, it's crazy how some days you're like, man, this day's going on forever. This is awesome. But then the very next day you're like, holy crap, five years just passed. And what have I, like, what have I achieved? You know, I, I think when I was younger, I had anxiety about certain milestones, right. You know, I think very rarely I've just sat and been like, huh, that was enough today. (laughs) Right. Because the next thought was if I'm thinking this is enough, then Holy cow, am I getting, am I getting lazy? Right. (laughs) You know, am I not like aiming high enough? Right. And, um, that, that was all self produced anxiety, right. Where it, it, I, I put this pressure on myself. Right. And I think we probably all do that from a career perspective. Um, we think that, you know, certain things have to happen in order for other things to happen. So that, that would cause me a lot of anxiety. I think now in, in bringing up COVID a little bit, uh, you know, a lot of us were just sidelined for a little while. Right. And you're, you're not hurt. You're not injured. You're just all of a sudden, you're sidelined because everyone slowed down. Mm. And then the anxiety was fear of the unknown, right? Am I going to have a job still? What is that job going to look like? Am I going to like it? But then the personal thing started to creep in. I've always been so career driven, right? And it's thinking, have I done enough personally? you look around, everyone's having kids, everyone's getting married. And that had never been like an anxiety producing thing to me. Every time I pop up on Facebook (laughs) or Instagram, I'm like, holy crap, I got to shut this down. Because then all of a sudden, this anxiety was causing me to lose confidence. And that's where it's interesting, because anxiety can be a very great motivator for change, right? But it can also have the opposite effect of kind of making you stall or feel static or stuck. Right. And so I think, you know, for me, the biggest thing is when I have anxiety about myself and am I good enough? Am I doing enough? Right. Don't, you can't allow it to impact your confidence in yourself. Right. Cause then you, then you get nowhere. Right. You know, and like, I just remember again, my mom saying like, what are you freaking out about? You can't control any of these things right now. And all of a sudden, like, you're worried because you haven't been on a date in a year. She's like, this isn't the Jennifer Noyles I know. Like, stop letting the situational anxiety, like, impact your whole life or perspective of yourself, right? And so I think it's just one of those things, like, I heard someone say it, it sounds so cliche, but, you know, how do you eat an elephant? Like, one bite at a time. You're like, oh, oh, yeah, whatever. But, I mean, it's true, right? Life and work and people, it, it can become very overwhelming. So, so change the question, simplify, simplify the problem. And just, that's one thing I've just learned with COVID is just take, be grateful for what you have. And each day, you know, check something off, whether it's the simple thing of, Hey, I rewarded myself with Starbucks today as I'm holding my Starbucks cup. Right. <laughs> I had a hard work day yesterday at work. I was like, you know what? I'm going to go for a run in the morning. I get to talk to my friend, Brett. 
soon. I'm going to grab myself a coffee and, you know, I feel, I feel centered, I feel centered right now. Yeah. That's an, and that's important to find that anchor. And as, mm-hmm. as always, you've, you brought up numerous things. So this is going to be kind of a choose your destiny. Uh, when yeah, I was, a, sure. when I was a kid, I played the video game, Mortal Kombat a lot. And it was like, Oh, you have to choose your destiny. And it was who you fought. Um, you talked about dating, you talked about anxiety. Yeah. Um, I think there's, I don't think I know, cause I talked to them a lot. A lot of our audience are, are the types of folks that easily can get lost in their work. Actually, I'm choosing your destiny for you. Screw it. Um, they can easily, they can easily get lost in their work, myself included. Right. Um, I think something that's not talked about enough is inherently, there's always a lot of talk. You said it, we're in a service-based industry and in a service-based industry, you're supposed to be selfless, but to be selfless, you still need to have a self and you do need to be selfish. Um, but there's people that they sometimes neglect relationships, uh, intimacy, things can fall through the wayside. They may play the role of husband or wife or partner or what have you, yet some of it is performative, right? Like, and, uh, we have moments where we're probably not giving our all to those, to those moments. And it's because we want to be the best at her. And we think like, oh, once I get here and I can give my family this, or I can do this, or I'll have more time and money, and then I can go on more dates and what have you. Then inevitably, none of those days ever come where we're ever satisfied. Talk to me about a time where you lost yourself in your work so much where, yeah, I mean, like, how did you manage that? Like, I haven't been on a date. And even though your mom said, well, that's not the Jenny I know. It's like, well, yeah, mom, but I still value companionship. And let's talk about this too within this. You're in a job where it's shared, it's two way, but you have to be in control, right? Being, being a coach and a leader, even if you're not this, I don't mean like you're demanding and a tyrant, but you're, you're in that dominant position. And there are plenty of times where we don't always want to be dominant and in control. And we want to just be able to let loose and relax and be us. So like, talk to me about how you, how you've managed some of those things or struggled with it even. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think back to, so there was a really challenging time for me personally. Uh, it was my first management job, uh, you know, and I was super excited about it. Um, I got to manage, you know, a facility, still got to coach, right? And, you know, at the, at the time, I had, I had a great, great relationship, great boyfriend, um, but uh, super supportive, Right. And, and I mean, that's what you want in a companion, right? You can be into, or at least for myself, independent yet respectful of each other. Yeah. And I just, I just remember the job uh, required me to move from Los Angeles to Dallas. Uh, and, you know, I was 20, 27, 28 at the time, you know, had, had been dating, living with my, my boyfriend for a couple of years. Right. And I just, just said to him, like, what do I do? He's like, well, you know what you got to do. You got to go do this job. This is, this is what you want. <laughs> this is what you want. <laughs> um, and uh, we, we made it work. But then a year later, you know, he tried to get a job in, in Texas and it was really challenging. And, you know, at third, you know, I guess I was like 29 or 30 then was like made the decision of, hey, at this moment in time, I love my career. I love managing. I got a taste of it. I want it. But I think my boyfriend and I were at that point where we wanted to be together and we still needed to figure out like, were we the one for each other? Right. So I I ended up, you know, doing taking a lateral move 
moving back to California. And um, personally, I was very happy professionally. I, I, again, I had that anxiety because like, oh my gosh, are they going to look me over? Um, I went with my heart, you know, and saying that out loud, I like, I feel, I still kind of feel embarrassed saying that like, oh, you went with your heart, you know, but um, you shouldn't. You shouldn't. Because right? that makes so you more relatable all, to those you lead. Yeah. So I had all these rules in my head, you know, about how how emotional you could or, or couldn't be in your work decisions, right? Um, you know, and, you know, uh, my boyfriend and I, we're, we're not together anymore. Uh, but, you know, obviously you, you mourn past relationships. It, it, you know, we left each other, you know, well. It was a healthy, healthy breakup. Um but, you know, that, that was really tough, right? Because, you know, I had the support, I pursued something from a career perspective, had I not been with him and you think you go through these, what if situations, I probably still would have been managing that facility. Uh, but guess what? Like 10 years later, um, it has not hurt my career and it, it, it helped me. I made a decision to focus on the personal at the time. Right. Um, and that was really hard. So I think later I chose not to allow personal to influence my professional. And now, now I'm in a situation again where it's like, well, that's not good either because you've just, you, you value companionship, you value relationships, but your that boyfriend or that girlfriend or that significant other isn't just going to appear. Mm. Like we're not in high school or college anymore. You, you, if, if that's important to you, you got to put yourself out there. Right. Um, and I think I've just fallen off the band, the, the wagon, right off the horse. Right. And it, it, that's anxiety producing. Right. But yeah. I know we just went through a lot of little, little divots. No, there. it's, 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 it's very, it's very spot on because we, you talked about a lot of, you talked about, you know, you found somebody, you had this connection, you had an opportunity to lead. It's an inevitable toll that fork in the road to where you can't really choose to go in the middle, you know? And right, so you have exactly. to find, you have to find a way to make that work. I mean, Liz and I were very much similar in that. And that when I moved from Pensacola to Arizona and she was still at Nebraska, and this is my wife for anybody listening, you know, I, I hadn't had a whole lot of luck with long distance relationships. I had one in grad school, didn't work out, tried doing one for a little bit. When I first started my job down in Pensacola, Florida, you know, didn't work out. And so here I was again, now with somebody that, all right, well, I, you know, I feel affection for, but now I'm taking this job in Phoenix. Is this going to be able to work? And at one point in time, Liz came down and had to work like three jobs, you know, cause she wanted to kind of pay her own way to do that as we're trying to figure out if our relationship works. And then, you know, five years later, we're moving to LA and then Atlanta and, and that's the inevitable mess, right? That's the mess of where you have to say, okay, um, is it the right gear for the right hill? Is this the right time? Is this the right person? Those things inevitably show themselves. And I think you did the great thing of, of saying, hey, we're going to go with your heart this time. And then we're also going to have to be a little bit more pragmatic other times because people tend to find ways to to get shit done if that's going to last. Now, it's tricky because like you said, you don't want to be cliche and you don't want to say, oh, well, if it's meant to be, it's meant to be horse shit, you know, horse shit. Like you have to work like crazy. And I think one thing that I had to look at as somebody that was an aspiring leader and coach is how was I about to look at athletes that came in and they were downtrodden and they had a breakup and they had this, and I'm supposed to sit here and like give them advice if I hadn't gone through, through it myself. Right. And that's, that's the thing that I'd encourage uh, other folks. I hope they listen to when you said that is 
when people don't experience something themselves going with their heart, a broken relationship, a bad this, a bad that, but they're just ex- like, if they don't have direct experience to, with it, but they just kind of have seen it from afar, you're not really in a place to be as relatable. So when we're trying to get instant buy-in, when we're trying to get more credibility, well, guess what? That comes from being a real person. And that comes from having multiple connecting points, not just by being empathetic and acting like you care and starting with why. Starting with why doesn't mean shit if the people can't relate to you. Right, right. And I think, you know, you probably have a lot of listeners who um, you might be the leader, the supervisor, the lead coach, uh, and your client or your colleagues are 10 years older than you, right? So then what, what do you, what do you do, right? It's, you know, I, I thought about that a lot because I, I was very fortunate at a young age to be put in some situations where I, I, I was the youngest, but I, I had the most, you know, responsibility or, or leadership, right? And you can't fake experience. You can't fake reps that you didn't have. So then the next best thing is be a good listener, right? Because again, like to your point, I, I probably did work with some, you know, athletes or, or clients that maybe went through a divorce, you know, and, and they would talk about it in the training group, but you're right. Like I, I, I couldn't, I couldn't build my relationship with them based on um, like a shared experience. It's more of, Hey, can I, can I listen to this individual and during the session make, Hey, so-and-so is just having a really crappy day, right? And just that's where the empathy came or there's the seeking to understand, right? Like, I think that that's the other thing is like, I, again, speaking from a sports performance experience, I just remember an, athlete, an older veteran hockey player asked me a question. I didn't know the answer. And I just say, you know, Rich, like that's a really good question. Like, let, let me talk, let me talk to my colleagues about it. You know, I don't want to mislead you in my response. And his response to me was over what, like, he didn't have very many teeth <laughs> from playing hockey. He had this huge smile. He's like, that's it. No BS with this chick, you know? And um, like, so to me, that was just confirmation of, like, I, I couldn't speak to what he, he was asking. So I wasn't going to fake it. That doesn't mean that I lost confidence in myself. It just, I had a better understanding of, hey, I need to bring in some other expertise with what he's asking, you know? And, and so I think it's just, you can't, people can smell BS, right? And you, it'd be really bad for your relationships to be built on BS because eventually it will implode in, in my personal like experience. <laughs> no, you're spot on. And, and speaking about relationships with this, you talked now about management and switching roles, something else a lot of leaders, especially today know about, you know, and I remember this caused some conflict in my family starting out. And I think of that, uh, J.R.R. Tolkien quote, all who wander are not lost. But I remember specifically whether it was my first. I actually have that. You can't see it, but, um, I'll show it to you later, but I have that on a little script right there. Not all those who wander are lost. Anyways, that's, that's awesome that you just brought that up. Sorry, coming to interrupt. No, you, you didn't. You're fine. We have the same thing in our house. And a lot of that was spanned from. I remember when I first told my family, and this was very early, hey, I have to go take this internship or I'm doing this. You know, my brother had, had accused me of saying like, 
oh, you know, you're running from your home and you're doing this and you, you're being selfish. You should be able to stay at home and do your job and, you know, love him. But he didn't understand that that's, that's not the sports performance world. And that's really not the way of, of many professions now. No disrespect to people that are able to stay in their hometown and do that. My brother's done wonderful things with restaurants in our hometown of Omaha, Nebraska, gives back to that community. And there are many people that do that. Farmers, uh, it, folks in a variety of industries, what have you. But in our field, that, that wasn't the case, right? I went away to college. I went and did internships. I've moved damn near 15 times. Um, and inevitably, when you move or you go into a new organization, there's that new culture. There's new folks you're working with. You have to adapt. You have to figure out, no matter how successful or unsuccessful I was somewhere else, here's this new start, this fresh change akin to an intimate relationship. How did you manage the nuances of going from somebody who was a coach that you're the main practitioner coaching all these groups to doing what scares so many coaches to then moving to a leadership role where, yeah, you're still going to coach, but not as much. Now that was in the same organization. And then yet again, you went to another world renowned organization, all still under the same umbrella, but very different. And you had to speak another language and, and you had to overcome different biases and things because let's be honest, sports performance isn't always as respected as field like surgery, you know, like uh, the medical field or the military, because not a lot of people understand it. So there's a lot there. And that question is disjointed because it's the only way it can be formed. How did you manage that mess and the relationships inherent to those different roles? Yeah. Yeah. Because I think, you know, the first step going from coach to manager, I always knew I wanted to make that step. And I always felt like I would, I would do a really good job leading people, right? I, I don't know. <laughs> it's like, I think I've shared this example with you. You know, you'll watch like American Idol and you're just floored when like one of the judges will give, you know, the singer some like critical feedback and they're just destroyed, right? Yeah. And it's like, did no one in your life tell you you weren't very good? You know, and so like for me, there was this, this, I, I think you, you call it like imposter syndrome. Like, am, I think I am a good leader. I just need to be given a chance to lead. Right. And again, I've had mentors tell me you don't need the title or the position to be a leader, but I, but I did, I wanted that operational leadership you know, because again, I always felt I was a good friend, a good colleague, right? And then that, I mean, some people say, well, that's not leadership. I'm like, well, sure it is. <laughs> I'll never forget the first time I saw the statistic and it speaks to a lot of what Jenny is talking about with self-awareness. Out of 285 coach development programs, according to a 2016 meta-analysis, 92% focus on the technical aspects and only six focused on interpersonal with two focusing on interpersonal skills. Guys, for a field that is predicated on working with people, that is not good enough. Make sure if you are somebody that values interpersonal skills, interpersonal skills, and you wanna connect with professionals from every field to learn from them, to bounce ideas off with them, to connect with them, and to get evaluated by a group of peers in a non-judgmental way, check out our artofcoaching.com forward slash apprenticeship. These are our communication workshops. We do them all over the world. They're research backed, the first of their kind. I won't shut up about them because they're incredible. They're a way for me to improve and we want you there. Again, artofcoaching.com 
forward slash apprenticeship or all over the country. And once COVID ends, we'll be worldwide soon. I think I am a good leader. I just need to be given a chance to lead, right? And again, I've had mentors tell me, you don't need the title or the position to be a leader. But I, but I did, I wanted that operational leadership you know, because again, I always felt I was a good friend, a good colleague, right? And then that, I mean, some people say, well, that's not leadership. I'm like, well, sure it is. Yeah, <laughs> like you're of you're, it is. you're taking ownership, right? Um, you know, so that first step, coach to manager, again, the obstacle was a lot of my colleagues were older than me, right? And that did create some concern. Again, are they going to believe in me, right? But I think at the end of the day, know who you are, be consistent in your interactions, right? So what I chose to do was I thought of every manager or leader or mentor that I had where I didn't feel like I flourished as an employee. And I, so for me, I didn't necessarily know what to do. I knew what not to do, right? And so that that's what really kind of helped me get my bearings Um as a, as a first manager, right? I probably made some missteps. I probably was too much of a friend to my, my colleagues, right? Um, but you, you learn very quickly, right? Okay, you can still be friends, but now you are their supervisor, right? Like you, there's, and that's a, that's a whole nother conversation. It's, it's, it's challenging, but I, I, it's definitely possible, right? With the right communication. Um, so that's how I kind of started. Like, what do I not want to do? Right. And so one of the things for me was, um, and it still is, if you have a meeting with someone, unless there's like an emergency, do not cancel on that person. Right. And so I know that sounds like so like insignificant, but if you're an employee and you have one opportunity to touch base with your supervisor, right? And they keep canceling it. But again, in fairness to that supervisor, they may have no idea that they keep doing that to mm, you. Yeah. That, that suggests that I'm not important, right? And so for me, when I have a standing meeting with someone, it is a standing meeting, right? So it's being accountable. It's being reliable on both parts, right? Um, so that's just an example of like some example. of the things like, when I first started managing, but then like to your point, all of a sudden my lane, my comfort zone was pro sports, collegiate athletes, youth high school, right? And then all of a sudden now coming, still working for Exos, but under the umbrella of, of Mayo Clinic, where all their operating systems, expectations, like it, it completely different, right? Which, which by the way, not, and not to interject, but I want to make sure that the audience knows this. This is the number one hospital in the nation, as reported by U.S. News and World Report. The number one hospital in the nation and top ranked in 12 specialties. So when Jenny, Jenny's too humble to kind of mention this, but I want to make sure you guys understand the magnitude of this, especially those of you that are coaches that see yourself as just a coach or feel insecure because we get a lot of this, Jenny, people that are like, well, you know, I feel like if I get off the floor, I'm not a coach anymore. Going from coaching world-class athletes to working with the number one hospital in the nation, that is so much bigger in many ways. So 
I just wanted to plug that in there, Jenny, because I want them to understand the magnitude of the obstacles you've had to navigate in your career. So keep going. And I apologize for interjecting. No, I, I appreciate you. You brought back some anxiety of that first week of work. Be anxious <laughs> you know, now, Jenny, be yeah, anxious. Be anxious. Um, no, I think it's in the, we talked about this earlier, where is anxiety productive and where is it not? Right. And so you bet I should be anxious my first week there, right? Because, you know, not only was it, you know, a significant client, it, it, it's, it's also a working relationship, right? And the ability for us to continue to, to work with, with this group um, is based on my performance and my team's performance, right? So it just, it upped the game 100% of like, okay, you, you want it to be a leader, now this is really gonna this is really gonna test you, right? Can you still do that in someone else's house, right? Um, I think you know trying to simplify the experience. So wh- where did I start, right? And so for me, just like anything, it's seeking seeking to understand, right? You know, some people might think, well, seeking to understand, you're just prolonging the inevitable. Are you know, are you just like a like a pushover. No, I mean, at the, at the end of the day, it's, it's a paid relationship too, right? You know, they are the client, what they want we do, you know, so I better, just like a professional athlete, I better seek to understand what they do, what they need, right? But then try and find some, you know, common ground, right? And I, I, I always come back to this. My biggest you know, growth in relationships is having a shared experience with someone. So Brett, I think back to you and I had like some great work experiences, but there were some that probably really stand out where I felt like, hey, we grew professionally and and personally together. And like those two weeks we were at Lackland Air Force Base. During the great cricket migration and the fire drill. Yeah, like boom, like that, that accelerated us as a, as a professional group, right. But also personally. So with Mayo Clinic, for me, it's like, you don't need these raw, raw, like type experiences. I mean, some people do, they're not bad, you know, these team building exercises and things like that, bringing groups in. Whereas for me, it was, Hey, Wednesday, we're going to build the racks. PTs, anyone else? Hey, this, this isn't our gym. This is your, this is, this, this isn't Exos's gym. Everyone's going to be using this. If if you want to, you know, help out, better understand the inner workings of the gym, like sign up. And sure, that was one way of building a shared experience. Like, I mean, if anyone's put like power blocks together or racks together, it's a whole day thing. It's miserable. Right? So you, you, you order in Panera, get some Chipotle spend the day building something together. Right. And so to me, that, that was a very simple way to start building relationships. The next big one was when we had our open house, everyone's like hustling to, to do a really good job. Right. And I think then when you, when you have shared experience, you, you just inevitably start to see, um, people's values, their, their work effort. And I think the Mayo Clinic staff work so hard and they're so genuine in their want to make people better 
that that came, they saw that in us when we were hustling just as hard with them to make this work. And so all of a sudden it's this, hey, we had a shared experience. We saw similar values and similar work ethic. Man, this, this is gonna be awesome, right? So in my situation, it, it was a great outcome, right? But what do you do if, if you're still on diff, like what, if we had gone through those shared experiences and kind of come out the end being like, oh, we kind of think a little bit differently. We work a little bit differently. Our values are a little right. bit different. Or if somebody's resistant to taking that right. shared experience, yeah. Right, and so again, my biggest thing is you can't take it personal. It probably has nothing to do with you, right? And I think a lot of us, we tend to immediately think, oh, what did I do wrong? But again, you're making it about you. It really needs to be about the other person, right? Um, you know, and so it, it's, just, it's just hard. There's also recognizing that you're, you, you might just be really good colleagues, but you might not be friends. Or you know what? You might always have some challenging times with that, with that colleague, right? They might just never buy in and maybe it's you that eventually moves on or maybe they move on, right? So to me, then the conversation becomes how, how do I make the most of my time and my relationship with that person, right? Mm -hmm. If they're not seeing eye to eye, I choose not to take it personally. I choose not to get upset, but then I figure, I try to figure out what are their triggers, right? So for me, I feel like I'm very, I, I'm for the most part, fairly self-aware, right? And so when I do have a, like an awkward or a bad interaction with a colleague, right? It's, it's, I'm not beating myself up, but very quickly I'm evaluating what, what was it about that meeting that set them off? Was, was the meeting late? Do they value things being on time? Um, was it just the, the topic? We had a disagreement, right? And I, and I think for me, the first step is to kind of evaluate those kind of things, right? But then also actually talk to the person. Like you don't need to make a big deal about it, but you know, hey, Bob or Fred, um, how, how would you have made that meeting better, right? What do you think was missing, right? Like give people the opportunity to express themselves. It doesn't necessarily mean I'm gonna go with their, their suggestion, right? But for some people, they just wanna be heard, right? But then equally, even if I decide not to go with Bob's suggestion, I then have the courtesy to go back to him to say, hey, Bob, I evaluated this. We're gonna continue to do it this way and this is why. I think all of us have been in situations where someone has asked us for feedback, even on a simple survey. Mm. And then you hear nothing and you see nothing. Or you so just again, get the banal, uh, Jenny's passionate about her job. She does a great, but, but could do this. And it's like, oh my God, you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. yeah. It's like when you, when you ask somebody, what are you hungry for? And they're like, anything really? You're like, well, thanks for contributing nothing. Yeah. So I think it's, again, I came back to my earlier comment of how had I been treated as an employee before and what did I want different? And I, I'm okay with people not liking my ideas or suggestions, but I do want to know that, hey, minimally, I, I listened to you, but we're doing, we're doing something else, right? Versus just 
you, I guess you don't, you don't evaluate my opinion enough to even tell me, Hey, no, we're, we're, we're not going with your suggestion. Right. So for me, it's just, I think people, people want to be engaged. They want to be heard, but, but they also want some kind of like feedback, you know, whether it's on their performance or it's, yeah, hey, thanks for filling out that survey. We're, we're going with this direction. Boom. You know, um, just provide people closure where it's needed. You know, um, I mean, I mean, it, it's kind of relating, you know, relationships to work, but it's kind of the same thing. Oh, 100% shared relationships. Uh, like, and again, not not to cut you off, but I, I love that you did the shared experiences because they even find, you know, this is where if couples work out together that they notice, you know, increases in oxytocin and all these, like, we know this. I mean, it's it's a human thing. It's tribal. You know, this is this is a tribal thing. And so I think that's ingenious. Finish your point. I don't, I didn't want to interrupt, but that's, I want to make sure people know because they do, we do see, we understand that there has to be a separation between work relationships and intimate relationships. That's not, that's not in question, but you can't look at them as inherently separate uh, in terms of the nuances of what drives connection. Exactly. Right. I mean, it's, yeah, maybe with a significant other, the topic of conversation is different, but you know, the, the methods and modes and consideration of communication still need to be there. Right. And it's the same thing, same thing with work, right. It's, you know, give people a platform to share their ideas, allow them to feel safe, get back to them, you know, um, you know, and that to me, that's, that's where the, the parallels are with relationships too. You know, like sometimes you don't, you don't want to get back to that person because you know, it's going to be a hard personal conversation say, Hey, uh, I don't want to date you anymore. Well, guess what? It's really hard to tell someone, hey, you did a really good job on that project, but I need you to do better, right? Like, you, you know, there's going to be these hard conversations. Um, and I think for me, my approach has always been own it. You as the leader, you own it. Don't walk away from it, right? Like you chose to be in this position, you want to help people, you want to guide people. And yeah, at the end of the day, I've always considered, I'd, I'd rather myself feel really shitty about something. And, 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 and again, it's not that you're trying to protect your employees or your colleagues, but there's just certain things as a leader where I would rather take the brunt of things, right? So I'm assuming as if, if I'm in a leadership position, I have more responsibility I need to be more thoughtful of things. Maybe one of my younger colleagues doesn't have some of the emotional immature, have the emotional maturity yet, right? So why would I, why would I make them feel really shitty when I can control the situation? I can approach them in a challenging conversation and say, hey, let, let's talk about this situation. What went well, what didn't, right? So for me, the expectation of a teacher, of a leader, of a manager is, you're coming forward with those challenging conversations because you can't ignore them. Like it just blows up in your face, right? Like if, if Susie is always showing up late and then eventually she just gets written up, she's probably going to be like, whoa, whoa, where did that come from? Right. You never, it never was an issue before. Right. So um, just, you know, be consistent with your communication and your, your, your follow, follow up. You know, like to me, that's the place to start. Yeah. I, I want to um, summarize and codify some of the things you said. This is, I mean, amazing. 
you know, one, first off and, and foremost, again, going back to one of the most common questions we get in various mediums is, you know, all about buy-in and what have you. And I have told you this offline when people say, tell me about buy-in. I'm like this, you know, it's always a, it's interesting trying to understand what they want to know. Cause I'm like, well, this is a 300 page book and eight, you know, an online course. It's now a university course. I can't just tell you about this in a DM. Um, so when I, when I do kind of boil it down and I say, here's a bastardized oversimplified view. And I kind of talk about our three R approach, research, relate and reframe. And again, your shared experiences, your, uh, don't take it personally, your give autonomy fits so nicely into this relate is about shared experiences. Um, but we also tell people don't force that relationship, right? Don't, don't force self-disclosure. Don't force, um, some kind of team building activity, because if you do that, now you're reframing this as it, it's about you. It's not about the activity of itself. So I hope people heard that. Um, I love you talking about not hiding from difficult conversations. I can say this on this podcast because by the time it airs, this will be known. But uh, we have a new member of our team. Her name's Allie Kirshner, and she was the associate Olympic sports performance coach at Stanford University, one that brought about uh, uh, the the inequality of, of women's and men's weight rooms in the NCAA tournament, highly qualified in her own respect in many ways. She's been on the podcast, and she talked about, um, before she had left Stanford, she said, hey, you know, I, I respect the, everybody I work with immensely, and I want to talk to them in person. And Allie and I have known each other for a while. I think, I don't know what she perceived and she'll listen to this because she writes our, our show notes for it. Um, but she said, I hope, I hope, you know, I like, I need to have this conversation with one of my superiors in person because I respect them and I believe in having tough conversations in person. And she started to qualify it, Jenny. And I said, Allie, you don't need to qualify it. I wouldn't hire you if you didn't have this conversation in person. We talk a lot about appropriate modalities of communication. It's the same level of frustration I feel when people on Instagram expect me to talk about what we talk about on the podcast or our courses on Instagram. I'm like, that that's not the medium for that. We couldn't do it. So you talked about a great thing with that. Um, I also loved, I mean, maybe one of the highlights of what you said, which this is going to be a very tough one when we think about the minute long sign, uh, soundbite. I mean, you, the audience can't see this, but I have a legal pad of notes of like things that I want to, but you said you cannot fake reps you haven't gotten. And that is the core of like what we teach at our apprenticeship workshops, which are largely improv based. We have to put people in these situations. So was it Susie that was late or was it Sally? I can't remember. Did you use Susie? It was Susie. Oh. I think it was Susie. Yeah. yeah. So, like you, not a lot of people get practice having those conversations with Susie. So when we can do role playing that does that, those are reps that the aspiring leader, right. May not get yet. Could you imagine if prior to taking the roles you had, you had this chance to practice, right. And you're self-reflective because these things are top of mind in your head all the time. I know they are because when I'd observe you as a coach and you're one of the most pleasurable people to watch, just do your thing I've ever seen. I always wonder, I'm like, what is going on in her head right now? And I'm like, so much, but you organize it very well because you're able to separate the urgent from the important. You're able to separate the, the interpersonal from the technical. And then in this way that is very unique, like a sorcerer, you blend them together so that the average person that does not understand that level of mastery might be bored but anybody at the top of their craft is wowed. And that's always what I felt like with you. I felt like you're the expert butcher 
who like your knife lasts forever because you cut the meat in very few strokes. Whereas the person that tries to make it look complex or overly complicated, they just hack these knives up and they have to go through it quickly, which by the way, that's something I learned. A distinction between expert butchers and non is the length at which it's not just the quality of the knife, but how long they keep it is based on how many cuts they use. And an expert butcher will always use fewer cuts. I do have a couple hot takes though, as we round out the end of this episode, cause you've yeah. smashed everything. Okay. So a couple of hot takes. All right. This one comes from, uh, something I got from the journal of organizational dynamics. And they talk about coaching and the art of management. And the context is, is they view that, you know, really the art of management is coaching that, and we believe this too, coaches or managers and guides and what have you. Okay. But what they said is we view coaching not as a subset of the field of management, but rather as the heart of management itself. Would you agree? And I'm not going to give you too much information other than that, just on the face. So a gray area answer is okay. Do you think the art of great management and leadership really is an approach that's more coaching centered? Yeah. But again, I, I see you can substitute leadership. This is my bias. Yeah. Uh, we want your bias in these answers. You know, coaching is leadership is management. I, to me, the, the three words are interchangeable, yep. right? What, what it comes down to is the human executing these things, mm. right? I can, I could, I could be a coach, right. And not really focus on communication, building growth, right? I know that sounds ridiculous, right? I could be that coach, just technical, 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 but I could probably also be a manager or a leader that's really good at spreadsheets, mm. right? Yeah. So to me, it's, those words are interchangeable. The, the, how it's brought to life is with the person and the intention behind those three things. It's a great answer that that article goes on to state to your point, the manager is viewed variously as team captain, parent, steward, battle commander, fountain of wisdom, poker player, group spokesperson, gatekeeper, minister. And it says, uh, <laughs> it goes on to say everything between nurse and Attila the Hun, you know? And so, uh, it, it is interesting that there's so much of that. All right. Here's another hot take. And I know this one's personal. We, um, we all deal with some biases, right? Like I've been judged from the standpoint of, well, you come from sports performance. We're looking for somebody that came from Darden or Harvard or what have you. Um, have you ever had somebody that said, well, Jenny, you know, you'd be taken a lot more seriously if you went by Jennifer. Yeah, I did. Yeah, I, I have. Um, and then I, I just realized very quickly, oh, I don't respect that person. <laughs> they, they don't seek to understand me they've oversimplified me. And it's then it, it was my choice. Do I get all torn up inside or do I let this one kind of roll off? And eventually that person became a really big advocate of mine. Funny how that works. Right? Friends, yeah. but yeah, you know, first they so. fight you, then they laugh at you, then they join you. Um, all right, this one, have some fun with it. And if you need a moment of silence to like, think about it, that's totally fine. We're on the tail end. And then I'll give you the last word and then we'll wrap up, okay? I want to respect your time. You talked about somebody oversimplifying you. We oversimplify a lot of things in life based on our biases. Who do you believe is one of the most misunderstood villains, either in a movie or a book or in popular culture? 
Who do you think is one of the mi most misunderstood villains? Somebody that's been typecasted. We had one person say Willy Wonka. So like you got, you, you, there's no wrong here. Maybe not a villain. Does no, it, a villain? It, it has to be somebody that's perceived as dark or villainous or less than virtuous, but really people just don't understand them. Have some fun with it. I love this question. It throws everybody through a loop. <laughs> Yeah, like clearly. Because well, we talk um, a lot about leaders as heroes, right? We talk, and, right. and a lot of people listening, and myself included, we tend to feel sometimes like outcasts and underdogs and that we're misunderstood. And so this has been a fan favorite question for a long time. One of the most misunderstood villains, or you could go anti-hero if you don't want to go straight villain. Mm, you know, no, I'm just, I'm trying to, I'm really bad with names, but so I just, during uh, COVID, I watched uh, Homeland. Okay. And uh, I think her name, the main actress, Claire Danes. So she, she's very misunderstood. There's moments of time where she's the, the hero. Other times she's the villain, but really she's kind of, kind of a combo, right? And maybe, I don't know, just reaching here, maybe, you know, a leader can be the villain, villain and the hero at the same time. I, I think, know. I think they maybe need to be sometimes. Yeah. I don't think great leadership is a really hard one. That's okay. I'll let you chew on it. Um, and then yeah. listen, you stocked this with tons of insight. I want to give you the chance, anything I didn't ask you or any points that you want to make that you didn't get a chance to share to, to sign us off. Oh man. I think, I think we, we covered a lot, right? I, I think the biggest thing is, is just being intentional, right? You're only a pushover if you're, if, if you're, if you're a pushover, right? You're, um, you know, sometimes using these, these, you know, emotional, the heart, um, like know your audience and know what words to use. Right. Uh, but like at the end of the day, just, just be intentional with things. And if, if you want to be a good communicator, um, learn how to be a good communicator, go to Brett's, get your ass for our apprenticeships. Course, right. <laughs> Um, put your, put yourselves in, in situations, you know, to, to work on your communication. If you don't know if you're a good communicator or not, ask people, ask for feedback, right? And sometimes getting feedback from your nemesis is the best thing because like, sometimes you need to, you need to find the bottom and you need to find the ceiling. Either are very, very challenging when you hit them right? But then at least, you know, it's kind of like comparing it to like a novice exerciser. Mm. They don't know what a 10 out of a 10 is, right? So get them to feel what a 10 out of a 10 is. So like, oh man, that was, whoa, that was a 10. Yeah. I had a five today, right? So same thing with yourself, right? F figure out how you're perceived, right? Don't take any, don't take it to, like, I mean, when you ask for feedback, be prepared. Be for, prepared like, for it. And back. Be grateful for the tough stuff too. You know, yeah. even, even when we see anonymous people that are clearly just angry and aren't even verified purchasers of, of our book or anything like that, mm -hmm. then they go off. For me, I always am just like, oh, this is interesting. This gives me insight into emotions this person might've been feeling. They clearly didn't buy the book. Otherwise Amazon would do that. So what would make them write this? Then uh, like, again, I know that I'm not for everybody. So yeah, I think that's valuable. Um, Jenny, is there a place, cause you're gonna, I think you're gonna be surprised. There's gonna be a lot of people that wanna learn from you, reach out, give back to you, anything like that. Where's the best place, if anywhere, to contact you or to connect with you? 
Yeah, I mean, probably, probably, I know it sounds cliche, but probably Instagram. Okay. I'm very simple, Jenny Noyles. You can look me up, J-E-N-N-Y-N-O-I-L-E-S. Um, I'm, I may not respond like right away, but it, this is just my rule in general. I, I intentionally try to get back to people, except Brett, <laughs> into a, within 24 yeah, that, hours. That does not happen with me, Jenny. I know. Isn't that crazy though, that I, I make exceptions just because I, I know, I don't know why, I just feel like- you A shared understanding. Old. Yeah, but then that, you, you can't use that as a crutch either, so. Oh, look at yourself. Uh, but anyways, <laughs> not, not to go on a tangent, but yeah, Instagram uh, is probably the best, best way. And then, like I said, I try to get back to people within 24 hours. Well, so, I love it, so listen. not left guessing. Selfishly, I want you to be a facilitator for our apprenticeships. They touch on so many of the things that you that you talk about and it's a place where people come understanding tough feedback like it, it's for people that really are tired of you know that that kind of surface level stuff and want to be around other people that signed up for this that are like hey i'm here um i'm opening myself up to this at least there's this social contract where everybody knows this is a place where failure is normalized we're not going to take it personal we're going to come out with something. And I, I really want you to be a part of that. So I'm going to recruit you offline, but I just want to say thank you it. so much for, for myself and everybody at, at Art of Coaching. One of our, if not the best episode we've had so far in many respects, especially on this topic. So thank you. Thanks, Thanks. Guys, this is Brett Bartholomew and Jenny Noyles for the Art of Coaching podcast signing off. Please share it with a friend, leave a review, tell your mother, all of the above. We'll see you next time.